Thank you, guys. While they're sitting down, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and open to John chapter 12. Uh, this morning, we're going to we're going to look at a short passage here in John chapter 12, and we're going to basically do thing do two things. I want to take this morning as we prepare to send out Pillar Church of Stafford, and I want to just give you a sense of the heart and reason why we do this. Maybe you've been a part of this church for a while, and you've really never understood the impulse that we have for church planting sending, but today uh, I want to make sure you have a good understanding of what's driving us. I'm going to do that for about 20 minutes as we look at this text, and then I'm going to pass things off to Pastor Clint, and he's going to come up and he's going to charge our team that's going out. He's going to say some specific things to those who are going to be leading the way in planting Pillar Church of Stafford, and then we're going to gather them up front, and we're going to pray over them. And so that's the plan for the rest of our time together, but for a little bit, let's look at God's Word here in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, it says this, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Here in John chapter 12, Jesus reminds us that some moments are moments of transition into a new season. Even in the life of Jesus, he saw his ministry change seasons. If you actually follow through the Gospel of John, you can see several times where he uses the language that we read here. My time has not come, or my hour has not come. I was reading in John chapter 2 about the wedding at Cana, when Jesus turns water to wine and, and, and his mother comes out and asks him to do something about the wine shortage at this celebration, and he says to her, my time has not come. But here in this passage, things have changed. And if you know the Gospel of John, for the rest of the time, he sets his eyes on the cross. He fixes his eyes on Jerusalem, and we begin to focus on the reason that Jesus came to go to the cross. You see, some moments are moments of transition into a new season where we must make decisions to embrace the purpose that God has given us to fulfill. Jesus knew that in His life. There was a time where He was showing the power of the kingdom, but now was the time where He would show the promise of the kingdom through His death. For the moments leading up to this, He's teaching, He's healing, He's doing miracles, He's revealing the glory and the promise of God, but now He will lay down His life as He goes to the cross. The hour had come. This is the pregnant phrase from the mouth of Jesus. And he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man. That's His title for Himself, representing God's purpose for Him. The Son of Man to be glorified. You see, Jesus had been preparing Himself and His disciples for this hour. This moment that was now 
upon Him. This moment when He would walk to the cross in His death and through the resurrection from the dead, He would offer eternal life and hope to the world. And as we often do in a moment of powerful change and transition, when the moment is finally focused on the purpose for which we've come to something, He wants to convey what is really at the heart of what He is doing. In a sense, you could say that Jesus here, as he shifts to this hour, he says there's one thing that will be the key to help you understand how it is that you participate and walk in my kingdom. What it is I'm about to do next through my death. And he gives this little parable, this little story where he says, Truly, truly, verse 24, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Powerful words. He's taking this memorable statement and he's making sure that his disciples don't miss what is truly at the heart of a spiritual life. What it truly means to know God. What it truly means to walk with him, to serve him. And he gives them this. This is what Jesus wanted, wanted his disciples to understand when his hour had come. This is the explanatory key to Jesus' own life. But I want you to notice something here in this passage. Not only does he want to say to them, listen, what you're about to see through the cross is me dying like the seed so that others can live. He wants them to see that, but there's something else further that he wants them to understand. I want you to notice it. Take a look. Jesus is not talking just about the pattern for himself. He's talking to us. He's speaking to us. It's a core spiritual truth that he's giving us to prepare us for our hour and our moment. Look at what he says in the following verses. Here's what I mean. Whoever, that's not Jesus. Jesus already said this is what it looks like. Yes, it's him. But whoever, all of us, whoever... Loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. Did you get that? Jesus is not explaining the purpose of his death, but giving us the pattern for our life. I'm going to say it again in case you missed it. He's not only explaining the purpose for his death, but he is giving us the pattern for our life, for our life as individuals, for our corporate life as a church. Jesus is saying, unless the grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. If you cling to this moment, you lose it. If the joy that you've known in being together is something you grab onto at all expense, you don't get to keep it. That your only hope in going forward and knowing life and vitality and multiplication and joy and fullness is in giving yourselves away. Jesus is not just explaining the purpose of his death, but giving us the pattern of our life. An hour and moment like this one that we have together as a church. 
like this one that we have as individuals. To say, what does my life need to look like going forward? We're in a season of change as a church, and this Sunday marks that change. Going forward, this church won't be the same. It's a truth. This church won't be the same. And as it's gathered here in its uniqueness, it won't ever exist again with these people. And what do you do with a moment like this? Do you try to preserve it? Keep it? Or do you embrace with surrender the promise that when this life is laid down, when this church is laid in the dust like a seed, it'll bear much fruit. You see, we talk about church planting, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this impulse to take what we have and bury it in the ground and surrender it to God and say, God, whatever you want to make of it for the future, it belongs to you. And that's what we're here to do. If you don't understand what we're here to do today, that's what we're here to do. We're here to say, God, we don't believe at all that we can preserve our life. We don't believe at all that we can provide our vitality. We are going to lay it in the dust and we're going to wait on you. And we're going to believe that the fullness that comes forth came because you decided to give it life. So what do we need to know from Jesus? Surrendering what we have now so that others can experience genuine life is the only way forward in any moment for us. Jesus anticipates our moments of spiritual decision and transition and delivers key insight here that we need to embrace so we can experience the life that God has called us to. And I just want to point them out to you. Here's the first one. Jesus tells us that we need to see through the mirage of self-preservation. If we're really going to be the people God has called us to be, to be churches that really glorify God, we have to see through the mirage of self-preservation. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. The idea of love here means it's, it's covenant language that has to do with choosing one thing over another. So love and hate means to, to cling to one thing and to reject or set, set aside something here. It's not talking just about emotions. It's about this decision that's being made. Whoever loves his life loses it. So love here means to choose to preserve it rather than give it away and, to, and surrender to God. The idea of hate is not the emotion of loathing ourselves, but the action of surrendering for something else. Choosing the alternative when two things are on the line. To love one and to hate the other. To keep one and preserve one and to release the other. My life or God's purpose and plan. That's the choice that Jesus is putting here before them. My life or the flourishing of others. Which gets the priority? Jesus says the way to real life is to see through the mirage of self-preservation. I saw a video a while back. Maybe you peruse the internet a lot like I do for funny videos. Just going to admit it. It's a passion of mine, you know. Memes. I love memes. And there's this, there's this video. And it's a raccoon. He's by, the, by this, like, water. And they're feeding the raccoon cotton candy. Anybody else see this video? I got a couple of y'all in the house. Some of y'all are with me. 
Yeah, they're feeding this raccoon cotton candy, and they get it a taste, and say, you know, you could tell, just love, I mean, who doesn't love cotton candy, right? And so then, after they give it a few bites, they start dropping the cotton candy in the water. And the raccoon goes, gra- goes to grab for it, and as he picks it up out of the water, it's gone. And he's confused. You can see, it's like you can see the look on its face, look, <laughs> looking around, like, what, what's the deal? Throw another piece down, goes and grabs it, it's gone. Throws another piece down, goes and grabs it, it's gone. And this raccoon can't figure out what's going on as this, this thing that he thought that he could have, that he could grasp in his hands, that he could keep, that he could touch. Every time it hits the water, it dissipates into nothing. This is what it looks like to prioritize self-preservation in the spiritual life. It'd be like if you're in the middle of the ocean, tired from treading water, drifting away, and someone throws us a life preserver, but it's made of cotton candy. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that self-preservation is a mirage. Your spiritual health does not come through self-preservation, but through surrender. Through surrender of your life to God. This is a passage about surrender. That's what Jesus is talking about. About devoting ourselves, about no longer taking control of our life, but trusting the promise of God, relinquishing that, surrendering to God, and letting Him make from our life what He desires. We find life when we stop trying to make of it what we want and give it back to God. Give it back to God to entrust it to Him so that it can be shaped into what He intended to be. That is the way to life. As churches, we can never act in self-preservation because we have been called to glorify Jesus whose central act was to give up his own life so that we could live. There's no way, that's why he says, if you're going to be my servant, you've got to follow me and you'll be where I am. Well, where's Jesus going? He's going to the cross. That means the church glorifies Jesus by doing cross-like things that are the opposite of self-preservation and look entirely like surrender. That means if we're going to experience the life of the Spirit in our midst, the kind of revival and renewal that we need, if we're going to see people come to faith in Jesus, lives transformed, people changed, if we're going to see that in our midst, we'll do it by risking our own to see others live, by spending our life for their good. So that's the first thing. We've got to see through the mirage of self-preservation. The second thing is we've got to serve in the pattern of the cross. So often in the Christian life, we want the power and promise of the cross while rejecting its pattern for our own life. Here Jesus makes it clear. Surrender, even to death, is the way to genuine life. Jesus knows that for most of us, or at least a vast majority of us, surrender to him won't mean the immediate end of our life. Let's be honest, we're called to be ready for that. But here, practically, Jesus knows that the surrender that we need to, that will prepare us for that day is the one that lays down his life every day. In fact, martyrdom and loss of life for the sake of Jesus is usually just the end of a decision where people have been surrendered to Jesus all along. They don't have to go out looking. They're just surrendered to Christ. But here Jesus knows that we will be in a day-to-day battle of dying to self, dying to surrender. 
Here Jesus makes it clear. Surrender, even death, is the way to genuine life. Listen, there will be no pillar church of Stafford. There will be no pillar church of Dumfries of any significance in the future unless enough of us learn to serve in the pattern of Jesus' death. Other people experience spiritual life through the surrender of cross-shaped servants. Cross-shaped servants. Unless the grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. Churches remain alone without the surrender of cross-shaped servants. Churches and individuals have nothing to offer unless they embrace the spiritual principle of death preceding life. Here are some ways all of us are going to have to die if God is going to use this moment in our lives. And I just want to acknowledge, in part, planting a church feels like dying. If you don't know that, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Today, as we send it out, it, there's, if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, without being overdramatic, there are things that are going to die in us. Things that we're surrendering. Things we're choosing not to preserve because we trust in God's goodness. We're dying to some treasured relationships. It may, it may not be that the relationships we've enjoyed together will entirely go away. I certainly hope not. But part of the bittersweet feeling of starting a new church is that the patterns of our relationships together will change and we will feel the loss of it. That's true. That's what Jesus is saying here. We'll have to die to our personal time to provide for our churches to flourish. Because our one church is becoming two, there will be significant holes and gaps in our life apart that have been filled by one another. We're having to double everything, right? To recreate everything. The truth is, someone else will have to surrender and serve to fill the gaps in each of the places that we will begin to gather in each of the communities that we build. I think about Dale and Nancy, Hut Nancy Hutchinson who have led the way so powerfully here in providing pastoral care and support for our body. For years, we have just been able to almost take for granted for the last few years that there would be someone focusing on the care and nurture people going through difficult times here at Pillar Church of Dumfries. And they would say they haven't done it alone, but they've made sure we haven't missed it. And as they go to play a significant role in Pillar Church of Stafford, that means here, We'll be without that unless someone pays that price, gives their time, dies to some of their own self-care, <laughs> dies to some of their own moments in life so that others can flourish and be supported in critical times. We'll have to die to our personal time to provide for our churches to flourish. We'll also have to die to our preferences to accomplish the mission for others. Whether you're remaining here or going with Pillar Stafford, you've got visions and ideas of what the future might look like in either place, and, and honestly, the future will look like none of that. Some of you who are going with the church planning team, you've got ideas of what it's going to be like, and you'll get out there, and it's not going to be like that. And you're going to have to ask the question, was I just here because I preferred it? Or was I here to lay my life down as a cross-shaped servant? Some of us who are staying here, you know, we're looking forward to certain things and the way that God will continue to use this church. And there's been things that you've loved about this church, but we are cutting off one of our arms and sending it out. And it won't feel the same. 
It'll be different. And you'll have to ask yourself, am I here because of my preferences? Or here because this is a group of people that I can lay down my life with to see God use us to bear much fruit? We'll have to serve in the pattern of the cross. And as I close, we'll have to set our hope on the promise of the resurrection. You see, the surrendered life hopes in God, not in its own power. All of this death (laughs) that I was just talking about in this surrender comes with a promise. It's not for the sake of destruction, but it's for the sake of fruitfulness. It has this purpose. God is calling us to life, not death as an end. The end is life. Death is just the door. You see, that's what he wants us to set our hope in as we surrender ourselves to God and we die to our own control and entrust ourselves to him, God brings fruit that we could not have ever anticipated. We see the promise in contrast to the alternative. The result of self-preservation is that the seed remains alone. The result of self-preservation as individuals is that we end up lonely and detached. The result of self-preservation in ministry is that our seed that holds such promise never gets planted. But when it does, there's a promise. It bears much fruit. When we see through the self-preservation and serve in the pattern of the cross, we follow Jesus through the promise of the cross into the hope of the resurrection. When we plant a church, we're saying to one another and to the communities we live in that a life entrusted to God is the only life we really believe in. Everything else is just a mirage. And we're willing to put this thing all on the line so that others can know the hope of eternal life. And you know, that would all seem strange. This this effort would all seem strange if it weren't for Jesus. How would we have ever known such a marvelous truth if we had not gained our life, our hope, our joy through his death? And so today we celebrate that we have confidence, not because we know, not because we can create our future, but that we can entrust it to the Savior who laid down his life so that we could gain ours. And if you are a Christian here today, you have received life because Jesus was willing to surrender his. And so receiving the promise of the cross, we can now entrust ourselves to walk in his pattern. That's what we're here to do. That's why we plant churches. That's what we rejoice in. Let's pray as we prepare to charge our brothers and sisters who are going. Lord, we pray that you would root these truths deep in our hearts, that they would compel us, that we would learn to rejoice and surrender, that you would be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Colby had the task of talking to the congregation about about what we're doing here, and I have the task of talking to those who are leaving about what we're doing here. And I would like to turn your attention just for a moment to Second uh, Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two. I'm just going to share a couple verses with you and a few um, few ideas we can derive from that that are particularly for those who are leaving here and going to plant Pillar Stafford. 
and maybe even more particularly for uh, those who are serving in pastoring or eldering roles there at Pillar Stafford. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, starting in the beginning, says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus, uh, in Christ Jesus, and what you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, and no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since it's his aim to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, and it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. So like I said, it's my task to talk to those who are leaving today from Pillar Dumfries and going to plant Pillar Stafford. You may or may not realize this, but this is not the first time our church has commissioned a group of people to go and plant Pillar Stafford. You're not the first group who's been commissioned by this congregation for this purpose. Nearly nine years ago, almost to the day, about a mile from here, in a, uh, next to a used tire shop, we laid hands on a group of people doing this exact same thing. We commissioned team members to go out and plant Pillar Stafford. Some of the same hands that will lay on your shoulders today laid on those shoulders. Some of the same voices that offered prayers to that team will offer prayers today for yours. Some of the same checks will be cut. Some of the same encouragements will be given. Some of the same advice will be passed down. <coughs> Members were sent in our hearts, like today, were full of optimism, faith, and a little bit of pain as we did it. I tell you this because I, I want you to know that the work you're going into is fraught with obstacles and dangers and difficulties. I tell you this because I want you to walk out of here today both with a heart full of optimism and excitement for the Lord's work and calling in, in, in your lives to do this and with humility and reverence for how difficult and challenging serving the Lord is often. So I want to just point out a few things from this passage we learn, sort of things that are on the nose of the text just right there plain and simple. First of all, Paul is telling Timothy, a young man who he's sending out, he's telling him to be strengthened by grace. So strength will be needed. We know for sure as you go and plant this church, strength will be needed. And, and Paul is telling Timothy that he will be able to source that strength through grace. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. So to gain physical strength, you need protein. It's difficult to build and maintain physical muscle without it. Grace, the grace of Jesus Christ is the protein of spiritual strength. The fuel for your longevity and fruitfulness in ministry, Pillar Stafford, the fuel for that will be found in the cross of Christ. What Pastor Colby just shared with us. You will be tempted to look inside yourself for strength, the strength you'll need to win spiritual battles, to overcome difficulties, to press through challenging situations, to push, push beyond. But you should push beyond your impulse to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get this church started. 
You should find your strength, your will, your motivation for continued service to Christ, even in the most difficult days of ministry. You should draw your strength to serve Christ from Christ. Have you ever noticed that uh, some people can seemingly work endlessly um, without quitting, and then some other people do the same tasks and they get tired right away? Have you ever, ever noticed that? Well, I, I'm convinced that the difference between those things is not so much about strength or even discipline. I, I think those who can continue to work seemingly tirelessly are those who have discovered a rhythm of replenishment in that work. And unless you find a way through the find your way through the woods of ministry to the wellspring of Jesus, you will find yourself soon burnt out, stressed out, tired and virtually useless to the church, to Jesus, to his people. And I say this particularly to Hutch and, and Mike and Ted. Many of you have, you guys have served long enough that you know how tiring ministry can be, how draining it can be to pour yourself out into others over and over again without fulfillment. So I want to encourage you to be strengthened by grace in the same way that the Apostle Paul encourages Timothy, his son, in the faith. Second, he says, entrust what you learned to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So my commendation to you, just in the same way that Paul did to Timothy, is that you should entrust what you've learned to others. So here's the charge. The gospel of grace that you have built your life upon, dispense it out liberally. Heavy the flow of grace and gospel into your life, and heavy the flow of grace and gospel will be out of your life. The most harmful thing you could do for Pillar Stafford and for those who need Jesus' grace around the community of Stafford is to view yourself as the source of that grace. You're not the source of grace. You are the distributor of grace. You go there, not that you have any song to sing of yourself. You are a mockingbird. You are mimicking the gospel message of Jesus Christ that has been entrusted to you by these people in this place. What does Paul mean when he says, what you've learned from me? Well, he's saying there's a truckload of gospel, Bible, Jesus, faith, grace that was dropped on your loading dock, and you're supposed to unpack that and start passing it out in your own community. And if you try to start passing or dispensing that grace in your community, and you're not showing up early to receive regular deliveries, you will find yourself soon empty-handed. What you have been given here by us, what we are giving today and hopefully have been giving to you over time, by what you've received from this congregation and by our pastors was not intended just for you. It was intended for you to distribute. It was entrusted to you. We trusted you with it. And we today are trusting you with it. We're saying to you, we believe you understand this gospel and will handle this gospel like it, like it is the most valuable possession you've ever had. You will take the work that you're doing seriously. When the world around you says the, the church is, is outdated, it's not useful, you will view God and his gospel and his church as beautiful and powerful. What is this is the trust that we have and that we give you today and that we, we tell you that we entrust you and as we send you out with this gospel message. And, and, and the next thing that Paul tells Timothy in verse 3 there, look, he says, tells him to share in suffering like a good soldier. We already mentioned 
ministry is difficult. You're going to face difficult days. Some of the hardest times you've ever had in ministry. And I know that you three guys particularly, and many of those who are going with you, have faced many difficult ministry days. Your hardest ministry days are probably ahead. This work you're going to be doing is very hard. It's going to be harder than you think. I, I have this common experience when I work with church planners of saying, this is going to be really hard. I often use the phrase, this is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. And they say, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they go out and a few years later, they come back and they're beat down. And we sit down and they say, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Why didn't you tell me how hard this was going to be? Just, just like you're going out to, to continue to, uh, to do this ministry. You're going out like Jesus to continue to love uh, your accusers and, 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 and you're going to see yourself, you're going to love them by seeing yourself in their actions and Jesus' grace towards you in the way that you distribute grace toward them. You're not going to protect yourself. You're not going to vindicate yourself. You're, not going, you're going to love people, people that will hurt you, people that will, will uh, spar you, spurn you. While you're hurting and, and, and others are lashing out at you, you will have to continue to draw on the grace of Christ to serve others. Ministry is difficult. It's, it's wonderful, but it's also difficult. And the ministry that you guys are going to do, you're going you're gonna to have some wonderful and some terrible days. I, I, I think of church planting and doing this work like, like having children because it is, it's, the, it's, it's a hard. It's really, really hard, but it's a really good hard. It's the kind of hard you wouldn't trade for the world. Someone told me when I was new in ministry that pastors are professional forgivers, and I have lodged that in my mind and used it over and over again, and I'd like to repeat it to you today. Pastors, you three pastors, are professional forgivers. It is going to be your job to, like Jesus, forgive and serve others and serve others. That's how model and display dispense the gospel to people that you are around is by showing the grace of Christ to them in your life and in your interactions with them. I want you to see yourself as professional forgivers, and you are a representative of Jesus Christ when you do this. So defend the faith, but deny yourself. Fight Satan, but surrender your life. In some ways, the measure of a pastor's fruitfulness and his faithfulness is his threshold for pain. Stand up under attacks, just as Jesus was silent before his accusers. You'll face attacks from the world, from Satan, from co-laborers sometimes, sometimes from within your own household. Sometimes those attacks will come from your own heart. Paul advises uh, the church at Corinth in this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, for even when I came to Macedonia, so on his new, uh, uh, new missionary effort in Macedonia, he said, our bodies had no rest. He's talking about those and the people he's working with to go and plant new churches. Our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and facing fear within. But God... Comforted, who comforts the downcast comforted us. And I, I pray that that's what will be true of you, that you'll go out and you'll do this difficult work and in those days when they're most difficult, you will, you will draw on strength, the strength of Christ and that he will comfort you. The next thing he says in verse 4 is to avoid entanglement. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since it's its aim to please the one who enlisted him. There are times when you will long for regular work. You'll daydream about punching a time clock, perhaps. Uh, particularly those of you who are working in the ministry full-time. You'll go through a drive through on some day like I have, and the gal who hands you french fries through the small window, you'll think, boy, she's got it made. <laughs> but don't, 
Don't for a minute look back. The work you're doing is eternal work. Jesus is the most important figure in human history, and the church is the most important institution in the world, in human history, on, on planet Earth, and, and you are striving to bring spiritual health and vitality to people in Stafford, and that work is good, no matter what your heart tells you about that in the midst of distress, and no matter what the world says about the value of what you're doing around you. The, the next thing that we see in this text, the next way Paul advises young Timothy is he says, play by the rules. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There will be many, many, many temptations for you to compromise. There will be many temptations to compromise. The teachings of God are at odds, often completely opposite with the teachings of this world. You will be consistently invited out of bounds morally. You'll be invited out of bounds theologically, uh, ethically, but... But let me encourage you to play by the rules in the same way that Paul encourages Timothy. Surround yourselves with, uh, with attentive gospel line judges that will warn you when you're swerving close to the boundaries. Work together to help one another as you play by the rules. And next, Paul tells Timothy, he says to work hard. This is, this is basic, and this comes natural, at least to the three of you guys. Uh, it's a hardworking farmer, farmer, he says, who ought to have the first share of the crops. Here's the good news in all of this labor. There is a reward. You do get to partake in this. I'm making it sound like ministry is awful and drudgery. It's not. It's wonderful, but it is challenging. It has difficulties. If you allow those difficulties to sneak up on you and you're not, your heart's not ready for them, you're not ready to draw on the wellspring of grace offered to you in Jesus Christ, then you will find yourself labored and tired. So the good news is there is a reward. You'll get a share in the harvest. Mike, Ted Hutch, you are three very different guys when I uh, interact with you and have gotten to know you. You're very different with a diverse gifts. But the one thing you have in common is that you all are really hard workers. And you have really good families around you that are really hard workers. That, that is a, an incredible you're, you're three very different guys, but you have these amazing gifts, but you have this one thing in common. But remember that the, the command here to work hard isn't just a command for doing, not just a command to go out and do. Sometimes the hardest work you'll do isn't doing at all. Sometimes the hardest ministry work you'll do will be waiting or being. Just like the farmer, the example we're given here, the farmer's work isn't always sowing and reaping. Sometimes it's waiting and watching and being patient. Just as the farmer, seasons of sowing, seasons of harvesting, work hard for Jesus. Working hard for Jesus will mean paying close attention and doing the right things in the right times. And next he tells him in verse 7, he says to think. Think over what I say. So Paul's telling Timothy, think over what I say. One of the Biggest mistakes I've, the biggest consistent mistake I've made in ministry is not thinking. Just not stopping, praying, contemplating long enough, just acting, 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 acting. Getting in bad patterns of thinking my intuition is the source of knowledge about what we should do. We are a spiritual people living in a spiritual world, leading people to God, yet we often 
can fall into as servants in the church, pastors in the church, often fall into patterns where we never consult with God about what it is that we're doing. We never gain what the commentator Matthew Henry calls the concurrence of providence, where we go back to God and say, God, can you confirm for me that this is the right way to lead? We get that conference of providence by, by interacting with one another sometimes. Some people think in order to speak, and other people uh, speak in order to think. I'm more of the latter. I'm a, I'm a think. As I talk, I, I get my best ideas. And so sometimes I just need to talk things out. I think Pastor Colby and I really help each other in that. We, we get great ideas when we get in a room and start spinning things up together. Uh, but sometimes if we're left on, on our own, we come up with kind of crazy, crazy ideas. You'll need to take care with every decision you make, recognizing that you're, you're working to please the one who enlisted you. Don't rely on your gut all the time. Don't rely on your intuitions always. Think, pray, consider, meditate, discuss, and only act when you're confident your decisions honor God. And then last, understanding comes from God. Understanding comes from God. That's how he ends his commendation to Timothy. He says, understanding comes from the Lord. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That is the promise of the text. That as you lead, as you go out into this vast unknown of planting this church, with the knowledge that already someone has gone out before you and tried to do this very thing unsuccessfully, go out. Go out and, and, and allow the Lord to bring you understanding. Here's the promise. The Lord will, he will give you understanding. And so for, uh, for all of you who are going, I think by our count, there's something above, uh, somewhere above 70 of you planning to go from here. And in a room this size, 70 is going to be a dent. It's going to be a, a, a serious dent. And uh, we, we're, we're excited for you, but we also just w- want to warn you to stay close to the Lord Jesus, to love one another, to display grace humility, kindness to one another, and recognize that difficulties and distresses that come will, will come your way for the sake of bringing disunity to you. You'll have to fight for unity. So we're going we're gonna to close our time. We've talked to our congregation. We've talked to you. And we're going to close our time by inviting all of those who are part of the team at Pillar Stafford to come up front, as well as those who are um, our elders to come and lay hands on and pray for them. I'm going to ask you to do that in just a minute, but I'm going to say a quick prayer before we do that. Lord Jesus, we love you. Our hope is in you. We trust you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And God, we pray that you would take these, these truths from your word and you would allow us to internalize them. I pray that for those who are going out, that they would be resolved to serve you, resolve to go to you for the strength that they'll need to accomplish the work that you've called them to do. God, would you give them understanding? Would you grant them unity and peace with one another as they, as they march out for you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.